Hello and welcome along once more to the Irish F1 show. As always, in association with PFT Travel, Tech and Tools, Palastorage.ie, Richard Carney Engineering, Deliver It, KSMPM and Rapco. And as always, you can get us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or X as Twitter is now um, unpopularly known at Irish F1 show. We're beginning this evening's programme with some excellent news. Um, quite gobsmacked about this, to, to be quite honest with you. But the Irish F1 show has been nominated for Best Motorsport Podcast, shortlisted and in the final of this Sport Podcast Awards, a global awards competition. Uh, don't ask me how we ended up there. We are there. Look at us, a quartet sitting here, having the crack, loving life, and um, people have deemed our podcast worthy of sharing the same space as Sky Sports F1 podcast, as BBC's Checkered Flag podcast, as the Red Bull podcast. There's one with Johnny Herbert in there. There's an Isle of Man TT podcast. And the Irish F1 show is in there in the middle of it. Lads, Barry Rabbit, Mike Dermody, Richard Carney. It's fantastic news, lads. Can't quite believe it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was uh, gr- a great, great message to get in the WhatsApp group from you, Kev. It was, uh, you know, take it obviously a massive part in that. So well done to you, um, for for getting it going and you know getting us on 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 the map, so to speak. And like, yeah, when you sent through the to the awards thing and you heard about how what what how the uh, how do you how the I suppose the shortlist was come to, uh, it's it's impressive because it's not it's not one that's done just on you know. Like they're, they're not just looking at oh who's the ten biggest podcasts or whatever. They they obviously have looked at them all and picked them out based on content as opposed to you know just sheer listenerships and numbers and stuff. So um and then to like I say to read down through the the other nominees and see a whole load of podcasts that'll be on my subscription on on iTunes like like you said Red Bull. Um, BBC, Sky News, and then all the other, um, the other ones that you mentioned there, like the Isle of Man and all that. It's, uh, yeah, it's a kind of p- p- pinch yourself moment. So it's great, great to see. And as I said, well done you for uh, leading the charge. I think well done all of us. And then Richie Baz has kind of hit the nail on the head there in in many respects. So they they go on the sports podcast group that uh, that run this, and all credit to them for for adopting this particular mantra on it. You know, it's not who they hear, it's what they hear. And I suppose when we put this um, little, I suppose, submission together, you know, we told them honestly what we're about. A few lads having the crack after an F1 race who happened to get a few big names on in between. And, uh, you know, that's that's who we are and that's what they liked. That's what they that's what they saw. And um, I don't think when, when I had a little conversation with you to tail in the 21, that maybe we'd end up here, Richie. No, definitely not, Kevin. I don't think any of the rest of them are shitting on themselves just quite yet now. But um, listen, as you said, we're here. Um, <clears throat> when we spoke in 2021, this was just a bit of crack, a bit of banter. And we got Barry on board and then we got Mike on board. And then a couple of big names start coming. And that's all down to you and your hard work in the background. And, um, you know, like, it's, it's it's quite amazing, you know. I listened to your interview with Cassie Lar, and you know, as you say, you're sitting out in the shed that you've converted to a stu- studio. Um, I'm, I'm like yourself, not as lavish as the two lads above us there. I'm sitting in my bedroom. Barry's in a cinema room, and Mike's in his office, like so. But <laughs> the two boys above us have raised the bar, alright, as to where we need to sit and studio-wise and things like that. But no, I, like Jesus, I'm flattered to say the least. Um, brilliant. 
Yeah, it's super stuff. And Mike, you've kind of been a jack of all trades among this whole thing. I mean, you've presented this show. You've been a regular guest with us. And uh, as Richie says, you have a nice little studio to do it all there as well. But uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's great stuff and a great process for, and a great opportunity, I think, for everyone. Isn't it, Mike? Well, absolutely. I mean, speaking personally, um, I've the few times I have been involved, I've really enjoyed it uh, because well, I came away from every discussion with an absolute smile on my face, like the old proverbial Cheshire cat, because we had the laugh, we had the crack. It was never serious, you know. It was never, but yet we still got it. We still got in around some significant content, and we still got, you know, we got to to interrogate and discuss and even debate some fairly. Uh, interesting stuff but we still done it whilst having fun um and i think for me that's probably even for what for the for the few that i wasn't involved in the ones that i would have sat and watched you you could understand the content you could understand where it was going but you could also see the absolute crack that was being had doing it and i just i think that's that's a testament a to the guy you guys and your interests of the way you set it up and structured it and to the fact that we're here and we're enjoying it. And I think that's what really is, is most important. Mm. Yeah, enjoyment. You've hit the, the absolute nail on the head. So now we yeah. need um, the help of our of our listeners. This is where it gets tasty. So the voting lines are open until the 28th of January. It's on sportpodcastgroup.com's website. You go to the vote now section and you see best motorsport podcasts and you click us. Now, the easy way out of this, of course, is to go to the Irish F1 show facebook page where we have that link and you can click it quite easily it'll take you straight in hit that and not only that to express our gratitude for all of our listeners doing that we're running a little competition so we're giving away a 100 euro one for all voucher so to enter what you do is you go and vote for us you take a screenshot to prove that you have voted for us because we will ask you for it if your name gets called out you share the post and you comment underneath that's all we're asking for and you could be in with an opportunity of winning a 100 euro one for all voucher. Now, there's a hat up there. I can't quite zoom in on it. I'm afraid if I touch something, the whole place will fall down. As we said, we are in a shed here. It's not uh, an out and out <coughs> studio as such. But we have three of these lovely Irish F1 show beanie hats to give away to runners up as well. So please do help us get there. As we said, the lines are open until the 28th of January. You can check out our social media pages. The winner is announced on the 1st of February. Who knows who it'll be? We'll give it the lash. And that's all we can do. So, lads, look, well done again. That's all I can say. I'm going to wrap it up on, on that particular note. And we will do our review on 2023. I know we were all very, very busy indeed in the lead up to, to Christmas. And happy Christmas to all of you and to all our listeners as well. Uh, or happy New Year, I should say. And I hope you all had a great Christmas. Um, I suppose what we're going to do is a great recommendation by producer Brian Rabbit before we came on air. We're going to go through uh, every team and maybe have a look at where they started out and maybe how the year transpired. So maybe we'll go from, from, from back to front. Um, Haas finished with a measly 12 points, Richard Kearney. Um, much to say on that? Um, <clears throat> as a team, not really. I, I have a fair idea what Mike Mike's going to criticise with Haas, but um, uh, car, qualifying-wise, car, not too bad. Um, manages to bring the tyres in really quickly and then manages to destroy him every bit as quick. Um, <laughs> biggest highlight for Haas this season, a couple of Hulkenberg's um, results and qualifying positions, I think. Um, that would be my one standout highlight of Haas this season. Mm-hmm. 
And I think to push it on, maybe, unless you've really got something to add, guys, we'll just move through the rest of the team. So have you any takers on Haas? No, I mean, the only thing I'd have to say about them is it, it, it's almost like they're they're a fish out of water in modern F1, you know? They're 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 kind of like a throwback to a few years ago. Owner, owner, you know, one guy owns the team, Gene Haas, you know, there's not many any of the teams like that really at the minute you know um and <clears throat> it's got a lot of value in it we know there's a lot of people looking andretti and whatnot and high tech and all these guys are looking on to, to get into f1 and i just i wouldn't be surprised to see them hit hit the sell button um because they're 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 just struggling to really hang on to the coattails of the the other nine teams now at this stage um and i you know it's a, it's worth a lot of money at the minute, and maybe, maybe he might just take the, take the offer and, and move on. I wouldn't be surprised. It won't be next year, but I, I, I think that's where where Haas is headed for. Unfortunately, just tread water until that happens. Would Heskett be a good comparison? Is that it's so different, that isn't it? You know, like I mean, I don't even think you need to go back that far. I mean, you just go back to the Jordans and the Tyrrells and the. Minardi's you know, of Formula One. Yeah, Williams is, you know, of the, of the, like Williams obviously now we're under new ownership, but, the, you know, the days of it just being a pure and outright race team, um, like Haas are, and, you know, obviously they, they, they subcontract in Delara to do a lot of the design and construction work at the tub, and then it's pretty much a Ferrari back end. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's just a different way of going racing compared to your, you know your your McLarens and your Ferraris and Mercedes and whatever of today. So, um, you know, and Gene Haas is a businessman and he's plenty of other motorsport interests. So, you know, someone comes knocking on the door and starts offering them hundreds and hundreds of millions. You know, it'd be hard to see him turn it down. I just don't think I just don't think it's going anywhere ultimately. So, no. maybe take 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 the money and run soon enough is what my my I would expect from him. I see Mike Dermody nodding in approval there. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with Barry. There's no cohesion in the team whatsoever. And Richard is dead right. He knows exactly what I'm going to say. It starts and finishes with the team leader, the manager, the team leader. And the people go, Gunther is great on Drive to Survive. It is in Hollywood, lads. This is a real, real situation, real business, real lives depend on it. It's a proper sport. You get nothing for coming where has are coming. And Gunther's going around smiling and swearing and uh, thinking he's cock of the hope. And he should be absolutely looking at his results and wondering why he's not doing something different. So I'd agree with Barry. I'd, I, if Gene Haas, I wouldn't. I can't believe he's as, he's as patient a man as he is. I'd have I'd have had Gunter down the road a season ago or two, and I'd certainly be having a for sale sign on it now if I wasn't going to get it any better. Love it. Nail the colours to the master. Nail the colours <laughs> to the master. Would would Gunter get um, a similar role with another team, lads, at the minute? No. There's nowhere, is there? I mean, like, who, well, if there was, hypothetically, say, would he? Do you think Alpine, no. maybe you know, nah. then he'd be there for months and he'd be gone again. <laughs> nah. The money, there's a couple of boys now with real, with Not real waters after putting money into Alpine. Do you think they're going to step back, stand back, and look at that? No, nah. it's the only, it's the only potential get opening. I don't think it'll happen, but I think it's the only potential t- team that might have a spot, but having mm. a spot. In, uh, I already has Hollywood now with it with the sponsors that just got. They don't need another actor. All right, <laughs> but that'd be the only way. From a commercial point of view, he'd be brilliant. But then, like behind the scenes, someone else is running the team. Like, yeah, acting the bollocks as you. Um, <laughs> we'll go on to uh, Alfa Romeo, who are, are next up in the constructors' championship. With um, 
not so pleasant 16 points. Um, I don't even know. It's mad, isn't it? We're talking about Haas in this particular context. Is there as much to be critical about with Alfa Romeo, apart from the fact that, that they finished there? Is there any kind of colour or, or context, maybe, Mike, that we could put on, on, on their season? Well, they did lose. They did lose uh, a good guy to Ferrari. In fairness, as their team manager, and you know, um, you know that 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 was a bit of a loss for them. And then they're they're in the middle of all of this. You know, this Alfa Romeo moving out, and uh, the I think the company what were they called? Strike is it's, uh, they're a, a, a gambling corp or corp corporation or something are taking over the name of the team from 25 I think it is or is it even and it's like they're, they're in a bit of turmoil because they're, they're not sure what direction they're going to take and so I wouldn't really hold it against them they have tried at least they've tried you know and and they've, they've remained competitive at least where they where they sit in the field and the warden as the warden the obvious disaster in my opinion at least that has were I don't know what the lads think. yeah, yeah that's well, what I was kind of thinking yeah they're they're in it they're in a kind of a no man's land at the minute. They're waiting for Audi to you know fully buy them out, and they're you know they're just I, I used a phrase earlier for how they're just treading water. I think until that happens, they've uh, I think it's called Stake is the the they're now called Stake Sauber F one. I don't know another mouthful of names anyway, but it's um. That, that's will be a mouthful, especially if it's a uh, surline, you know. Yeah, like, there's going to be endless puns like about it, especially if they have a, mm. you know. Um, if they've um, poor showing, which is likely, but yeah, like they, they they started off all right. They had a, they had a car in this era regs that, like last year, that was that shown to be quick, but it was just it, it was the first team to get down towards the minimum weight. They were the lightest car, and that was that helped. But as soon as the other teams caught up, it just they kind of got left behind a bit. So it's a strange one, you know. Audi are coming in with all the resource and might that they have at their disposal, and you would have to think that they're going to, you know, be on an upward trajectory the more that Audi buy in. I think they buy in a portion every year until 2026. Um, and they have to be, you know, gearing up in the background with personnel and team uh, and equipment and, you know, factories and all that. They've probably the best wind tunnel in the business or one of them. So that, you know, they should have, um, they should have the resources in time. And I think until then, it's just a case of surviving for them. Um, and, I mean, you can see that with their with their driver choice. Like Bottas is, you know, he's a safe, reliable pair of hands. He, he, he you know, much like a Haas, he kind of he, he can qualify well. But then the Haas eats its tires, and I think Bottas just, you know, eats himself and just goes backwards during the race. He's not he's not the most aggressive driver on the on the grid, so he qualifies well and then drops back. Um, and um, I can never get his name right. His team, you know, uh, George, what is it? Joel, I don't know. Yeah. you, Joe. Is I don't know which way around it is, but anyway, he he's going to um, look. He's fine. He's a journeyman F one. He's got money from China behind him, but he's not going to set the world alight. So, yeah, I think I think I think they're just waiting, just literally mm. just surviving until until Audi come in for twenty twenty six. And Richie, just to I suppose double it up, and that's probably you know the, the handiest way of doing their prospects. Um, um any, any more any more to add? Just from, from uh, a, a mouthful of steak at this hour on a Friday evening would be lovely, Ari. But that's about <laughs> the only good thing I'd say about them. Yeah. Much similar to Haas. Much then. Yeah. No, no. The dire, absolutely dire. Not the hope until 25, 26 till they have 
proper backing. So they're not even worth wasting me, Brett. On. So you could say the ch- chance of get chance of getting points next year, rare to medium. Rare to medium. <laughs> <laughs> or medium to rare, whichever well done, way you look at. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I couldn't oh, there's so many bedumbed tissues we need. We need to get a little jingle. Um, <laughs> perhaps. But uh, for Alpha Tauri then, uh, they're next up. I, I mean, I think if you were told that at the start of the year, maybe you would you would you suspect it, Richie? I uh, know. I thought about you done a little bit better. Um, being sort of Red Bull sister team, but um, ah, they had a bit of upheaval there as well, and I think Red Bull only sort of really officially launched them as a proper sister team mid to late season. So uh, I expect better things from them next season, but then. You know, it's hard to know. They're, they're just a typical middle of the road Formula One team. A couple of good results, a couple of bad results, but, you know, they're, they're not at the bottom. They're not at the top. They're just pretty much a middle of the road Formula One team, basically. Mm-hmm. Mike? Yeah, I, I honestly, genuinely would have expected Alpha Tauri to have finished ahead of Williams, okay? Um, very. I, I suppose, as Richard said, there's a good few probably pointers why they didn't. I mean, Let's be honest, they sacked the driver who was just not doing it for them. Um, and then the driver that 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 they were depending on went off and broke his wrist in, in, in the Dutch Grand Prix and missed a few. And so they had that chopping and changing between drivers. And, you know, that takes time with drivers and teams to settle in and whatever. And that would probably be a contributory factor to, the, to, to where they did end up. But I would have expected much, much more from them than we saw. And I would be expecting certainly next year for them to be a much better team. Now, the only thing is they've lost Franz Tost. So... Um, who's who's the new principal, and what what will he? How will he shake it up? You know. So, Baz, to pick up Mike on that. Yeah, well, I, I believe there's, two, there's there's two. There's two. I don't know the names now, but there's two two guys have been um, taken on in Franz Tost's role, which I suppose tells you all you need to know about how much he was doing there, and it took two men to replace him. But yeah, they kind of they're like McLaren light in the terms of they started poor and they got a bit better at the end of the year, not to the same extent as McLaren did, of course, who would come to. But um, they started. They've a lot more tie-ins now with the with the Red Bull team, and I think a lot of the other teams are kind of a little bit nervous that the twenty twenty four Alpha Tauri mm. car will be the RB nineteen. In other words, last year's you know dominant Max Verstappen and Perez car, um, just in Alpha Tauri colors, and if that's the case they'll be right up there um, because the rules have have slacked a little bit to allow that. So it's, uh, yeah, curious to see how they go forward. They had a bit of a a messy year with three drivers in the second car, as we've touched on. Um, The freeze just, you know, was just didn't didn't hit the ground running fast enough really for them at the start of the year. And then Ricardo and Lawson was probably one of the the stars of the season and and how well he did to literally got Mm -hmm. dropped into it straight into qualifying um, on uh, or maybe did he did he get a run in practice? But well, I think it was no, trying to no, no. Yeah, he was trying Man to run the at, at the soundboard. So um, you know, it it, it it stood him well. He's he's a name now that, that people will be looking at. But um, I think uh, I think Sonoda <laughs> had a good season all in. I think he you know he he was a, he was the quicker of the of no matter who was in the past in the other car pretty much all year round with. Ricardo having one standout performance there later in the season at where we qualified fourth. So yeah, they, they're coming. I think they're coming for next year. It could be interesting to see. They could, you know, they could end up um kind of 
third or fourth quickest car next year, I'd say. Mm-hmm. The two gents up at the top, Richie, in fairness, I think we have to concede, know the, the rule book a little bit better, perhaps, than, than me and you. So maybe I'll put the question to them. What's the difference between this relaxation of the rules and uh, um, Stroll purchasing some information from Mercedes four or five years ago? So what has allowed that kind of to happen? Obviously, there's a, <laughs> a beautiful connection with, uh, with, with Red Bull and Alfa Tauri, as we know. But how can that now happen um, legally? Any takers up top? It's 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 like all these things in F one. It's it's quite complicated. But I think the, the basic synopsis of it is is that they're just allowed to use more um, intellectual property from from the kind of the the, the parent company, let's say. And um, right. they don't have to do as much of the design work as they would have had to do in the past. So there's um, more. Uh, over the years there's been certain items have been allowed to be kind of um bought from other teams so for example if you look at the back end of a mclaren it's basically a mercedes from behind the driver's ears backwards it's 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 using all their kind of architecture and layout and engine and gearbox um suspension geometry as a result you know the gearbox design kind of dictates the rear suspension geometry literally where the wishbones get bolted to on the gearbox will dictate that so um that's been coming through the years and there's been more and more and there's a certain amount of parts that if you design it yourself if the team designs it it has to be um what's this that the phrase for it it's it's like freeware you know it's 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 designed and the, the design is put um into the public well, i say the public into the into the public in terms of the sphere of the teams all the teams can see uh, openware is that the phrase I'm looking for? You know, like open, yeah, open, sounds, yeah. open share, whatever software type stuff. So more components have been added to that list um, over the course of time, and uh, that's allowing the Alpha Terry basically to, to to buy in more of the Red Bull. It allows them to, to you know, it, and it's not just them. It can happen on any other team, but of course, no other two teams on the grid have that sort of strong bond and synergy yeah. as as Alpha Terry and Red Bull. So that's that that's the heart of it, really. Interesting, yeah, that that is definitely worth keeping an eye on. Um, we've mentioned Williams briefly. They're they're next up. I think you can see tangible incremental progress. Uh, Mike, would you agree? I would. I th- I think the biggest winner for Williams this year and that managed to hold on to him has been Alex Albon for me at least. Mm, um, I think I think he's taken that car and rung it rung the neck of that car anytime he got into it. And I think the twenty eight points. Uh, I think he got twenty seven of the twenty eight points right. Um, and I I think yeah you could see progress and you could see that but that consistency there has helped them an awful lot. Uh, I I would like to see them make more progress next season. I hope they will. Uh, I was a little surprised, not not gobsmacked, but a little surprised that they retained Logan Sargent. Uh, I admire Williams for their for their loyalty to the driver, but I think if they're if they're looking to to get closer to Alpine or Aston Martin, I thought maybe they, they might have looked at swapping out that. But um definitely in terms of the car, there was more consistency. The car was qualifying better. It was consistent in qualifying. It was consistent in racing. It was actually probably better at times in racing nearly than it was in qualifying. I know the lads might disagree, but I thought once they got going, they managed their race strategy much better than some of the, some of the other teams, I thought. They just didn't have the overall package. Mm. Richie? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. 
probably the most overachieved team this season, in a sense. Um, I agree with Mike on some points. Um, not them all, but yeah, probably one of my drivers of the season, Alex Albon, for what he took out of the car and uh, what he managed to extract from the car. Like Mike said, he scored you know, 27 or 28 points. That that sort of tells its own story in a sense that, um, you know, you take Alex Albon out of Williams, they're back in Alfa Romeo territory, they're back in Haas territory. Like, that guy, and I suppose James Vowles coming in as team principal, he's he's probably settled the ship, you know, he's, he's a lot of experience going in there, um, motivates the team a lot more than who was there before him. Um, but seriously... Like they've they've overachieved so much this season with a, an absolute super Alex Albon. You know, I think if they finish somewhere similar next season, I think that would be a good achievement for Williams again. And in fairness, it's not due being wise after the fact because I remember on one of our first podcasts, probably the very first one, you spoke so highly of Alex Albon at the time where I mean, all we knew really of him, I think, at that particular point was how things hadn't gone so well at, at Red Bull, which, you know, was at a very delicate time, I suppose, in his career as well. But um, as prospects then for the year, so Richie reckons if it, you know, if they're finishing around the same, maybe that's, uh, they're still heading the right direction. Is that something you would probably go along with? or anything? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, to touch on the point the lad's making about the fact that they keep Sergeant, I mean, normally I'd be the one beating the drum saying, no, if you don't, if the driver doesn't perform, get him out and get someone else in. Um, and, the, the, and I probably was was I was thinking about this a while ago, kind of in my head, and then I I, I realized that even if Sargent scored the same amount of points that Albon did, so twenty seven or whatever, Just the team that. would have still been miles behind um, sixth place in the championship. They, um, they, because they, I, I think I don't have the figures in front of me, but I think they had something at the end of the season with something like twenty eight points or twenty seven or twenty eight points, oh, and that said, Albon got. All bar one of those. Twenty-eight, yeah. Twenty-eight and 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 Melbourne, yeah. And, yeah. So even if you double their points and and you said that Sargent got just as many as Albon, which would be net, which will never happen. That's fifty something points, fifty-six, fifty-seven points. And if I'm not mistaken, again, Kev, you have the scores in front of you. The team ahead of them were on hundred and twenty or something. Spot yeah. on. You've done your homework, yeah. Dad. Yeah. Well, just it's just it was in my head a while ago, and and. Mm-hmm. I know how many points they have. I can't think of who that team is. Is it Alpine, was it? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so... Geez, you're like so, Keith Barry here now all of a sudden, you know? He's <laughs> <laughs> huh? um, Young lads there with the, with, with the thing up in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair play to you. You're spot on. You're spot on. You're spot on. So, so uh, only because I gave it a bit of thought there a couple of weeks ago. Just, anyway, probably half halfway through the night, just these things popping in my head. But it, it was... It's all, it's so... From Williams' point of view, they're sitting there and they're going, right, if if we take on a, you know, another Alex Albon, we're going to have to pay him a considerable amount of money, you know, te- you know, probably five, six, seven, eight million to get the driver. Who that driver is, I don't know, but a driver of that quality is going to cost him that. Where the sergeant is probably bringing in multiples of that indirectly or directly from America. So all of a sudden, it's a 20 million quid swing very quickly or more maybe. Um, and best case, they still finish where they do in the championship. So, from it's not very romantic, it's not very kind of sports orientated, but from a, just a pure kind of 
commercial and accounting point of view, I can see why they kept them. I wish they hadn't, but I can I can see why they kept them. You know, they're they're in that in that kind of gulf uh, between those ahead of them and, and and those behind them that it almost doesn't matter. So get the money, invest it. You know, buy some machinery, buy some. I mean, it's really boring stuff. Like hire something, take twenty million quid swing and buy i'm only saying 20 million i don't know how much it is but it'll be of that order um you know literally go down to gene Haas and buy some new you know five axis milling machines and you know employ a few extra people and stuff like that and and and, and make the car quicker and then put the then go looking for the guy the second mm-hmm. guy, go with alba yeah no i hear you yeah i hear you so we'll move on to, to alpine then lads and um do those guys we spoke about several times do they do they get on, uh, Richie? Uh, uh, <laughs> just, um, a bit of a rhetorical question. Does anyone in Alpine get on? They get to <laughs> in general because they seem to just be at loggerheads the whole time as yeah, a team. Yeah, yeah um, I, I, um, it's yeah. They've, they've. I won't say they've overachieved. They've sort of underachieved, really, um, for the team they are. With the back end to have, um, but just like Barry said, there, there's, there's just so much upheaval in that team and the rivalry between drivers, whether we see it or not on screen, it's there. Um, it's just not a very well balanced Formula One team. Like they have the resources, they have the funds. That's not the issue. Um, I don't think it's the issue anyway. Um, two drivers are decent enough. Uh, they should be okay, like to be scoring decent points most Grand Prix if that team gets themselves in order. But same thing, I think you know, uh, come next season, Alpine, Alpine, Tor, or Alpine and um, Alpha Tari toss up for that position next season, I think. Okay, and Mike, just um, on the dynamic, like the thing with Ocon, and this is where Netflix can be a bit misleading. Course, I think they did a great job of making Ocon seem like a you know really good guy. It's something we probably mentioned before. I don't want to take his character anyway whatsoever, but it strikes me as the type of um, maybe a manager you might have in a retail outlet. And he's like, nicey, nicey to the customers. Ah, yes, you're right. That next thing, turn it on to the staff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he, and he kill. Uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like this nicey, nicey you see a lot of the time. I don't know if he's as nicey, nicey as it might same and i'm not saying that the dynamic between the two of them are (laughs) is entirely his fault either Uh, kevin hold on that's the way mike is most days in work (laughs) (laughs) i was just going to say richie carney's a nice enough fella but you wouldn't want to be alongside him heading into the country in mandela There's you know, Mike's character taken, I'd be more if I if I said to Richie, if I said Richie was a nice guy heading into third three in the country, that I he would rightly take that as more of a slur on his character. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be more upset. I'd be more upset with the latter comment, to be honest with yeah, you. I know well you would. But yeah. just just to make things clear, he's talking about a corner in Mandela, not the countryside. <laughs> You're saying that now, not me. Not I am compelled to inform your listeners that those are not the views of the Irish F1 show. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, no, but the thing about it is, is that like all oh, car prob- I don't know. We don't really know any of them, truth be told. But 
he could be the nicest guy in the world. And we all, like, you know, we know a few of these guys as well. We might even be something ourselves. But you, you can be the nicest guy in the world. And then you get into the car and, you know, you're there to beat the guy beside you. And mm. this thing of always his teammate, well, now you're, that's the guy you're definitely there to beat. So, <laughs> yeah. there's, there, you know, they, they, they can and do and should operate alongside each other. Those two parts of someone's personality, like, you know what I mean? Mm. Stopping seems to come across as a fairly level-headed, decent kind of chap in general terms. And, you know, he 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 take the eyes out of your head for eight places on the grid, like, you know? So it, it's what it's what we would, it's what I would expect from them. And they're, the Alpine drivers are well-matched. They, they finished one behind the other, I think, in the championship with a couple of points between them. They're, they're there, thereabouts, you know? So, um, but the team is a, the team is a disaster, I, I would think. It's just... You know, we say Alpine, and we've almost been conditioned to, you know, Alpine, Alpine, and we know nobody really knows what we do know what Alpine is. It's a brand of Renault, but that's that's Renault. That's a works factory <laughs> team in F1. You know, it's it's up there with the same, you know, level as Mercedes and um, as Ferrari in terms of matter. You know, it's a proper big manufacturer team. The fact that they call it Alpine, maybe we lose some of that, we lose sight of that a little bit. Um, it's Renault, um, and uh, they've got all the resources and all the you know the backing to, to, to do an awful lot better. And it's got a bit of a jack. Remember the Jaguar F1 team where they kind of they have it's been run by a or maybe not directly run, but there's the fear of the board boardroom at the. the, the overlooking them and I think that's just holding them back and like who are they really we don't hear from them we don't they don't really know anything about them you know they've got different managers every few months I don't know it's it, it just they should be doing so so much better and and mm. so many so many different without, um without doubt, yeah without doubt Barry's correct they should be doing so much better right but to answer your question and knock on right when I was a lad growing up, we had two Jack Russells in the yard. One of them would let you walk in. The other fellow would always wait till you walk past him and then he'd bite you, right? <laughs> um, Ocon, if I'm not mistaken, Ocon took his teammate out at least once, if not twice this year, where he put both cars over us. Pretty sure in Adelaide, dead two of them ended up stuck in the wall on the right-hand side. I'm, I might be wrong, and I can, I'll hold my hands up if they I am. They did end up there. I can't remember exactly, but you're right. They did at, at the turn one. <laughs> If you look at Ocon's history, he's, it's like they're too busy fighting amongst themselves to have a plan that whilst they can fight for a play, whilst they can fight for track position, they're not fighting the teams around them, right? Yeah. If you look at if you look at Ocon and all his other teammates, right? Alonso, you get the impression Alonso would just would like nothing better than to see Ocon behind him every time. There's no love lost between those two guys. You can see that. Who was his previous when he when it was um, was it? Who was it? Perez in Force India, wasn't it? Perez in Force India. No, Perez is not an aggressive. He's he was a quick little driver, but he's not going to make stupid mistakes. But how many times did Perez and Ocon have a come together when they were together in Force India? More than once, yeah. you know. He 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 has to take ownership for this. He's allowed to fight his teammate. He's allowed to compete with his teammate, but not not when it's to the to the to, to the degree he does it, and when it's allowed when nobody's fighting the teams around him. And the Verstappen thing in in Brazil a few years ago, where he was he was unlapping himself. It, there is it. There's definitely a trend there. Yeah, there's a trend there for sure. Um, yeah. You know, 
I wouldn't maybe just be marching up to the gallows as quick as Mike is, but it is. I was just going to say, did I, did I upset you that much, Mike? Did I? <laughs> You're like a cunt. <laughs> were you the second Jack Russell, Richie? Were you? <laughs> I was the one that lost the teeth. <laughs> he's, not, he's not the rookie anymore, lads. He's after being no. through three different teams. He's been around a while, right? Um, and he, there's a, I just feel there's a maturity that's needed that's not there with him. And it's not the time for fighting. I mean, if they're going for championship wins and whatever else, they need to work a lot. They do need to beat the teammate, but they need to yeah. work together. And you look, need to work together as well. The whole, the whole team is a disaster, as I said earlier. There's so oh. many things that they need to sort out. two Hollywood backers now, haven't they? So maybe the wheel won't give Gunter a job. They'll be all right. They'll be grand then. They've got, yeah. I don't know what they'll play Gunter, Mike, and all will be fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sure, like when Anthony Joshua kind of was interviewed, was it in was it in Vegas? I can't remember where exactly he was interviewed, but he was like, "Oh, it's it's Alpine, isn't it?" He didn't even know what the money was being thrown towards. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's gas. But um, yeah, sure. Look, we'll we watch that quite quite closely. But I feel like Alpine maybe inadvertently have got a lot of airtime, not just on this episode, but on a lot of episodes, and more often than not, perhaps for um, reasons that are not quite um pleasant or or favourable <laughs> or positive. But look, we're here to call it as it is, and um. That's what it's all about to do. So look, up next, and I thought, guys, I mean, I thought they might finish a little bit higher, such was the start. At the start of the year, was uh, was Aston Martin, who finished fifth with 280 points. You know, and I suppose you look at the gaps, in many respects, there's a few different championships going on. We went from Williams on 28 up to Alpine on 120, and then you've got 280 to, to Aston Martin. Um, You know, we'll come to McLaren, they finish on 302 after that. But let's start with Aston Martin. And, you know, if you think back to the early parts, we were, I mean, blown away by Alonso and blown away by Alonso. Maybe at the, the later stages of the year with Brazil springing to mind and his kind of virtuoso performance there and stuff like that. But, Mike, I don't know if we were looking at the early form at the start of the year that we thought they might have only finished fifth. Perhaps, like, when you look at the season they've had, you'd be thinking, Jesus, did they, did they warrant a little bit more? But ultimately, you finish up where you deserve to be, don't you? Well, absolutely. You know, end of the season, the points, the tables, they don't lie. Uh, championships are not one in one or two or three or four games into a season. But to be to, to be fair, to their credit, they come out with the blocks with all guns firing. And, you know, I think it was at six races or five races in a row, Alonso, Alonso was on the podium. The first couple, even Stroll was pushing, he was in the points. Um, Stroll fell off the pace an awful lot in the middle of the season, at least. And I know then he broke his wrist and whatever. And perhaps... You know, that had an impact on his ability to drive. I don't know. But because he did come back towards the end of the season where we started to see a little bit of the stroll we saw earlier. But but certainly the other big issue for them was that they had brought development early in the day, in the stay in the season and it had proven to work and they were flying. But they didn't manage to bring any further development or, or any, anything that would give them any more pace like the other teams did. Whereas uh, the team above, which we'll talk about in a moment, they, they were quite poor at the beginning of the season, but somewhere they found that switch, that magic switch, nearly halfway through the season. And they just took off and they couldn't be caught. Them if They were gone. And and I think they just they just swapped over. But the fact was that Aston Martin had one driver that was doing really well in the first half of the season. But when the team swapped over, McLaren had two drivers that were absolutely flying. And I think that's how they didn't finish higher. I don't know what the lads' view would be, but... Yeah. I think that's really the tail of the tip. Faz, you're next. Yeah, I think that's it. And in, in, in a nutshell, Mike, that they, 
I think if if Aston Martin had two drivers that were as equal as the McLaren pairing, they probably would have finished ahead of <clears throat> ahead of McLaren. Um, and then there's an element of what do they call it recency bias, where you're kind of you're looking at McLaren and you're looking at Aston Martin and you're thinking McLaren had a better season just because their season was better more recently. Yeah. So, um, but at, at the, you know, at the end of the day, taking the season as a whole, um, you know, I, I would say Aston Martin probably had the better season than McLaren based on the fact that they, you know, they had a few, a few very strong podiums and, um, you know, but for, uh, you know, but for a slow, a bit of, I was say slow final sector and for stopping better on the last sector at Monaco, they very could have easily could have won that race in Monaco if if you know if if Alonso could have just got that you know front pole position instead of the outside the front row. So you could be looking at it differently. So I think as an overall as a season in a whole, without looking at it start, middle or end, I think they probably did have a better season than McLaren. Um uh, given the fact that they really only had one and a half driver scoring to be, you know, a little bit slightly disre- disrespectful to Stroll, but um, the question is, you know, where will twenty twenty four see them? Will it see them continuing that, you know, gentle slide away from the first couple of um, first couple of rows on the grid, or will they start, you know, coming back at it a little bit? I don't know. I have no idea where they're, where they're going to end up. That that'll be the interesting one to see going into next year. Um, and will Stroll be able to? Two questions: I will Stroll see out the season if he keeps getting his his ass handed to him by Alonso, and if the car is not as strong as it was this year, twenty twenty three rather, um, will Alonso be still as as nice and polite as he was for? Most of the season this year, it might you know the mask might mask might drop and the honeymoon period might be over, um, mm. and you know you could get angry Alonso back again as opposed to tell Lance he did a lovely maneuver there into turn one. <laughs> we got started the season might be slightly different. Mm-hmm. Rich, take uh, out the crystal ball on Aston Martin then. Um, just on the season gone by, I can't. Do you know I can't add to what the lads are after saying. I, you know, I agree a hundred percent on everything they've said, all their points. Um whether Daddy keeps Lance there or not, that's another day's work. And if he doesn't, it all depends on who goes in there. But for the money and resources that Aston Martin have, they should come on like they should be better. You know, they 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 overdeveloped at the start of the season, they underdeveloped mid season. And then they got their development just about right towards the end of the season. And, um, you know, sort of one thing, too, if I was to have a highlight of the season was Fernando's first podium with Aston Martin. You know, you asked me and Barry a question one one day on this. You know, if Fernando had a competitive car, would he win? And we both categorically said, yes, he would win. And that sort of of proved us right. And that's not why it's my highlight. It's because it was Fernando and... He had a decent car and, and, and proved, yeah, he can do it. Um, yeah, I think if the investment, like they're building a brand new factory, um, they're getting, you know, brand new wind tunnels, brand new, you know, maybe the factory side of things might take a little time. Maybe maybe next season might not be such a great season for them. Maybe we should be looking at maybe 25, 26 
to where they'll come back strong again. You know, they're going to take a good year or more to settle in in a new factory with new staff, new machinery, new everything. So maybe not expect as much out next season, more so 25, 26. Mm-hmm. And Richie, I'll stay with you because we kind of, you know, touched on McLaren in this conversation um, because of the, the proximity to Aston Martin. And we've mentioned, obviously, the, as Barry correctly phrased there, the perhaps recency uh, bias whereby, you know, they finished good. And um, that's the obviously the, the most recent thing in memory. So how do you kind of assess where, where they uh, came along? What do you think of the dynamic between... Norris and Piastri. They both had a second place finish this year, of course. Yeah, and and Piastri had a sprint race win, but um correct. I like the dynamic of the two lads. Um early part of last season, McLaren were rubbish, car was rubbish. They were late to the table with um development and parts and things, but you know, mid season on they got it together hmm. and um started to come good, but like just to reiterate what the two lads said, you know, they were dealing with, with two cards rather than a card and a half, you know, or or one card as such. You know, if you're playing Texas Hold'em, you're dealt one card, the guy beside you is dealt two. He's a much better chance of winning, hasn't he? So, yeah. um, I do hold high hopes for McLaren next season. I think they've got their development team on course, the money and the thing seems to have settled down. They don't seem to be financially under that much pressure anymore. They have two really good drivers. Really, really good drivers. Love the pair of them. I think they're both exciting prospects for the coming seasons. Um, I think Piastri is only going to drive Lando to try to be better and better, and vice versa. I think as as a driver pairing, other than no, as a driver pairing, I think that's the most exciting fight we're going to see next season is Lando and Piastri. Big show, Mike. Yeah, I, I'd agree with everything Richard's saying there. I'd nearly go one step further. <clears throat> I think Richard might have even alluded to this in a previous uh, uh, discussion. Uh, there will be sparks between the pair of them. There will be. Piastri is not for sitting behind Lando. You can see that. It's going to get really interesting there. Really interesting. And Bazar, anything else to add before we move on? Yeah, that's, I mean, the the the, the, the drivers, I suppose, to, to, to leave the team aside for a moment, the, the drivers is the interesting one. I think, I think, um, I think if Piastri gets, Piastri doesn't have to beat Norris. But Norris absolutely has to beat Piastri. Um, and I think if Piastri can get closer to Norris in 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 terms of championship points come the end of the season, and I think if he can if he can be very close to him, I think he's gonna hurt Norris's career. Um and I think if that was to happen and Norris feels that kind of hot breath on his on his back, um it could get real. It could get real juicy real quick. I think, um, mm. with with the pair of them, and as I said, Piastri doesn't have to beat Norris. He just, he just needs to be there or thereabouts. If he does beat him, he's 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 finished Norris off basically as a, in terms of a future world champion type, um, prospect, um, and and elevates himself. So that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing. 
Um, you know, I I think I don't think they'll be friends at the end of the season. To put it that way. No, yeah, no. The, the thing I think is very interesting is if you look at the the tallies that they've amassed, like, you know, collectively. So Norris has two or five. I, I just find it very interesting that Piastri, and I say this like with respect, only had 97. I didn't realize there was such a discrepancy because there's certainly not much of a discrepancy in terms of what they're capable of. But just to see that difference in, in, in what the they difference, end up with. The difference you're seeing there is that they both are as quick as each other, give or take. And um, but Norris has whatever number of years, four is it years of experience, mm-hmm. and you know, he could just kind of maintain the tires a bit more. You know, it's, it's just experience. He's done if it is four years, I'm not 100% sure. If it's four years, that's 80 odd races that he has an advantage over Piastri before he starts. First, Barry, there was there was two weekends, two race weekends in a row. I can't tell you which two there were that McLaren had brought their upgrades and gave them to Lando only. Yeah. And it looked like it looked like Lando had literally just blew Piastri away. Yeah. And then and then on the third race weekend when Piastri got the same upgrades, he's like half a tenth off Lando. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's not really between them. There's not many. Nor- Norris made a few I mean <coughs> at the time a few weekends in a row there around the Qatar Grand Prix and the ones around yeah. that state. Made a few fairly fundamental and, and, and big paying mistakes in qualifying. Um now, that's where he's under the most pressure from Piastri is in qualifying. If all of a sudden he's under the same sort of pressure in the races that he's currently, as you know, as Piastri learns and, 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 and improves in terms of race pace and race structure, if, if Piastri improves that to the point that he's as close to Norris in the races as he currently is in qualifying, well, then will we see them same sort of mistakes from Norris transpire in the races as opposed to in qualifying um and you gotta remember as i said before your hat just hit the ground there in the background wondering <laughs> yeah i could hear it i, like, I didn't see it on the screen i thought the song they popped off the wall and came down i, I see something orange flashing to my screen i thought it was richie's point for a second but it was uh um, yeah, barry my point wouldn't fall i know yeah <laughs> you'd be down the ground looking it up if it did if if um if if that's what happens, um, if that's what happens, and Norris starts getting getting pressure from Piastri, it's going to be really interesting. As I said it before, Norris has had a fairly a fairly you know guilt lined run through the junior categories up to up to F one. He is the real deal. Don't get me wrong, or he appears to be at least, and he's just won everything and he's not had to fight for his position really too hard because his natural pace and ability has dealt with it along with a very well backed, you know, family money ultimately. So he's had a fairly, and I use this word advisedly easily, not, it's never easy to do what he's done to get to F1, but as things go, he's had an easier run of it than, than many because his, his the money and the, and the talent was always there. Uh, be really interesting to see how he, as a person, copes with a lot of pressure from Piastri, which which he won't be used to dealing with. And that's the, it's probably the, one of the things I'm looking forward to most now this season is just where that ends up. Mike, uh, yeah, Kevin, uh, just just picking up on your comment, right? Piastri is the best, most highest point scoring rookie since Lewis Hamilton. No, okay. no, Mike, don't, don't. <laughs> Not a stat, no. <laughs> no. How many races is there this year? Many, 
No, no, but I'm just, I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying, he genuinely is. He is a, he's like, what other rookie? What other rookie could he, could even listen to? <laughs> Nobody, right? So, um, Barry is right. It's going to get really interesting between those two. Has to, because you can tell by the chap. He's, he wants to be. It's not that he has to, but he wants to be. Okay. Of course. And you see, don't forget, the two of these guys have come up parent like one behind the other but as such slightly and they've just beaten everyone they've ever come across all the way up to F1 and in Norris's case throughout F1 they can't both win one of them is going to one of them is going to I won't say destroy but one of them is going to hurt the other in terms of career prospects and how how they how they kind of how they're thought of let's say in the paddock and then and then you know in 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 podcasts and general fans of the sport one of them is absolutely gonna inflict a major blow to the other one before the season is out well and to borrow it, a boxing term um i hope it's a Hagler horns type thing um that's sort of the showdown so boxing goes over your head as well for fuck's sake is there anything that doesn't involve wheels no that you need I've no idea. Two lads hitting Jesus each other or something. I've heard about it. Two, uh, when you hear, yeah, boxers. Jack Russell's boxers. Every sort of a dog mentioned here tonight now. Um, we'll move on. We'll move on before we make things for ourselves all together, Sajou. <laughs> and we go to Ferrari, who finished on 406 in third. Mercedes on 409. So that was quite a, a close fight. I'd like to pick up on Ferrari. I'm reading that they've changed 95% of the components of the car. But I don't know if it makes the 95% worse. Or what happened to the other 5% to make it better, but it needs 100% improvement, lads, because it's not been good to look at, and we're saying this story, Richard Carney, since this podcast started. Maybe we have to put the jinx on him, I don't know. But, as Ferrari fans, something needs to change. They don't need us to put a jinx on them, that's for sure. Um, they're well <laughs> capable of doing that themselves. We might do the uh, strategy for them, will we? <laughs> um, that really, really scares me when I hear... When, I hear him say we've changed ninety five percent of the car because you know two seasons ago they changed ninety five percent of the car and it was still a fucking dog. It's not much better this season. Um, the while, um, listen, as a Ferrari fan, I I hope to God they've made ninety five percent of improvement and Charles and and Carlos can, you know, compete for genuine race wins, not just good qualifying pace. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to see it. It's. Are we expecting uh, too much? Are we like? I know they're Ferrari at the end of the day, but you know, like they're the only team that that won a race this year, other than other than Red Bull. So you know, are we being a bit hard? I'm only you know. I don't. I don't think so, Barry, because they are Ferrari. They're Ferrari. Mm. They should be like. They should be winning. Like, not listen. But they should be a lot closer. They should be fuck it, like the Ferrari. <laughs> They're the life bread of Formula One. You know, that yeah. like they shouldn't be where they are. Like they, they show flashes of greatness and then they let themselves down in the pits. They show flashes of being really quick in qualifying. Then they just can't keep a tire on the car in the race. Um you know, the new man at the helm. Hopefully now he gets a winter under his belt and um, they come back a little bit better organised. You know, his first season as team principal, 
give him the winter with the team. Hopefully he'll he'll set them down. Um, they'll come back a much better, more oiled machine next season. They've two good drivers. We know that They're two really good, really quick drivers. So I think what they really need is just to get their team in order and and get their car, get their car race ready, good race pass. And look, to pick up on what Barry has said there, I mean, you know, Barry's like, I suppose, take any greats in, in sport, be it individual or, or teams or whatever, when you set the bar that high, you got to think back to when it, when it slipped then and who allowed it to slip and constantly let it slip. Like, when you're up there, you're constantly going to be judged off of that. And like, I mean, I don't know what they have to do to get to get back up, but it's but certainly... Just, just on that though, Kev, we, I think we say that about Ferrari. Ferrari have really only been up there at you know as you say during the Schumacher years anything since then you know they 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 a somewhat fortuitous win in 2007 with Raikkonen when Alonso and Hamilton basically <laughs> stole points off each other in the McLaren and and Raikkonen sneaked through at the last literally the last race and won the championship but take that Schumacher and I know it's you know I'll just take that Schumacher years away like but it was a very specific team at that stage. It wasn't really Ferrari. It was like Jean Tot, Ross Braun, Rory Byrne, kind of um, together, yeah. Ross Braun team more so than it was Ferrari during them years. It was those four or five guys, and they kind of came in, took over Ferrari, made it not Ferrari basically for that period of time, and all that came that all the problems that usually were attached to Ferrari before that and since. Um, so when Schumacher won all those titles, they weren't really Ferrari, you know. They were they were a very specific version of themselves. Um, you well, go they back, were Ferrari, Barry. They were Ferrari. No, but they weren't Ferrari in so far as Ferrari is. They obviously they were Ferrari. They're red cars and they're from Italy. I know they were Ferrari, but, yeah, but they weren't. But they, Ross they, Braun they, put that team together. He he assembled that posse of men to win yeah. seven world titles. It's kind of a point, though. They point five point. world titles, but he, he, they still all wore red, and they yeah. still all lived in Italy. They, they <laughs> know. Yeah, yeah, but just just as it, just as just the same as that. Like we had Red Bull wear Jaguar, but it doesn't. You know, it's but red, red, they were the same building, they were the same employees, but Red Bull is definitely not Jaguar either. So it, it's it's a it just I think what happened in Ferrari's case was they stayed wearing the red and everything else, but it was a different. There was a different structure there than was there before or since. There were, they all protected each other. There was no kind of fire the manager mentality and boardroom getting involved. And you go Absolutely. back to before, you go back to before that, it was 1979 before they won a championship previous to that. No, I, I I agree with you. They don't like Ferrari have... Ferrari were were I won't say they were mediocre, but like you had your Gerhard Burger years, you had your 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 Prost years where they snuck a couple of wins every season. They weren't dominant, never dominant until Schumacher, Ross yeah. Braun, Jean Todd, Rory Byrne came along. That's when the dominance started. But like, it, it, it's no coincidence like that, you know, Ross Braun goes to Mercedes, bring Schumacher along with him. They acquire a team of, of gentlemen and women to run that team and look where Mercedes ended up. So, were Mercedes not Mercedes in their dominant time? Can I come in on this for one second? You can just stew on that for a moment, right? 
the point that the original point, which is after leading to this, which is great list by the way, and let you back in, back in on it, is when a team is not winning, when they are consistently up there and close to winning, that's the standard you set. So you don't win it every year. It's impossible to win it every year. We have a lot of GA listeners. I'll put it out there. I'll put Kerry up on the map, right? Kerry are always there thereabouts for Sam McGuire. And where Kerry are finishing at the minute are a quarter. Well, Kerry, you know, where Kerry, if, if Kerry had finished in the quarter final stage and not got to a final, that is unacceptable. They should be semi final or final. So, what I'm saying with Ferrari is if they're not winning or close to it, it's not good enough. And like, I, they've been close to it. That's where I'm trying to make the point. Could I could I come in before the two boys go back to war on, on the weather? Barry asked if we were being too hard on him. I remember in one of our podcasts just before we were getting towards halfway in the season, and the point was made if they're not careful, Mercedes are going to beat them to P2. Yeah. And Mercedes beat them to P2. Right? Yeah. And a car that would, had. Was nowhere had nowhere near anything, especially earlier in the season when Ferrari were getting poles. Okay, we know Charles got a few poles. He didn't win from pole. We know they got one race win. They got one race win, right? They had two very very good drivers, consistent. They just didn't. They don't have the overall package. And if they, if I go back to something Barry said as well on a previous podcast, they live. You get the impression that they live in absolute. Fucking fear of making a wrong call and getting the can for it rather than working towards what might be better for them. They let Mercedes, they pipped them to P2 in the championship when they were so far ahead of earlier in the season. That's just not good enough. Yeah, yeah. But, and I'm not, my, my point is not that it is good enough. My point is that that's always been Ferrari with one notable except, And I mean, that's always been Ferrari going back to the, 60s if you you know if you really want to get into it like that's always been the way they've they, they've been um and the one exception the one bracket of time that they weren't like that was the the schumacher years where my contention is that they weren't normal ferrari they were like this kind of kidnapped version of themselves that they went these non-italians came in took over the roles and kind of huddled around and protected each other and and, and ran it their way and 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 their success allowed them to run it their way, but they, they protected each other and, and allowed it and got over that kind of hurdle of, oh, fire them, fire them. They got over that hurdle because they didn't win it straight away. It was a few years before they actually really knuckled down and, you know, it was four or five years before they got from... Four four seasons, like. Yeah, to get... Yeah, to, 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 to the Lauda era. Well, yeah, we go back to Lauda. The first thing they did was fire Nicky Lauda after... Like, Nicky Lauda was... I, I'm only reading Lauda's book at the moment. That, he at, wasn't ultra-dominant, like. Lauda wasn't ultra-dominant in a Ferrari. And then what happened was... Uh, it's a good book on Lauda from by um, Irishman Morris Hamilton, a reporter and journalist, and I'm about halfway through it at the minute, and it's, 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 it's very interesting. One of the things that you read in it is Lauda had his big crash in, in uh, Nürburgring in 76, and... Um, Basically, the old man Enzo Ferrari was, he pretty much just said, oh, he won't be back. Good luck and forget about him. And hired, I think it was Reutemann or whatever, to come in and take over the drive. And ultimately, that's why Lauda left Ferrari a year later and went to, to Bravum. So it was, it, it, you know, again, it was Ferrari just, that was Enzo Ferrari himself. So there was no pressure out, you know, from above or be, in them times because he was literally Mr. Ferrari. So... Again, you go through the 80s, you know, you've you go through the 80s, they've 
you know, flashes here and there. They they were stubborn. They would they would stick with the wrong engine in the car. They would not worry about aerodynamics and they just go, oh, it's engine. And they V12 and V12s were kind of finished with and boxer engines when they were kind of all done and dusted. And it's that's always been Ferrari. And I think what we're seeing now is just more of the same. Um, so when we're when we're going, but they're Ferrari, we need to look at them. Well, Ferrari since 1950, not yeah. Ferrari 2000, 2007. Yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. that's my angle on it. If if you yeah, and you're, you're dead right, Barry. But but that Ferrari spoiled us. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that it's like being a Man United fan, which means but, nothing to you, but. That, ultra dominant for twenty years, and yeah. now we're absolutely shit and horrible to watch. Wouldn't you get kicked in the now. No, it's it's horrible. Like, but you know, hopefully the new man there now. Hopefully he can assemble a good team, good personnel over the winter. You know, in uh, but there's, maybe they there's might turn things been, around next season. Yeah, but there's always been that problem that 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 managerial stroke, whatever you want to call it, culture. In Ferrari, you take you take Barry's point. I suppose you think about the eighties. Prost went, couldn't wait to get out of the place. The finest driver on the planet at the time, Nigel Mansell, probably one of the ballsiest and quickest guys ever to put in a race car. He didn't even finish a season from not half a season from memory. Like yeah. there's always been that problem there where it was, and, and I think that's what you're saying as well, Richard. Where it's you know, no, no, there's nothing wrong with the car. You're driving the car we're giving you. We don't want your feedback. You're driving it. That's well, it. That's, that's the story. Lauda came in and drove the car the first time for them and got out of the car. And there was someone there. And I think it was I think it was a son of Ferrari, of Enzo Ferrari was acting as um, a translator for Lauda. And Lauda got out and said, the car's a piece of shit, basically. I think he said it's a truck or something like that. And <laughs> the engine is no good. And then he gave some feedback on it. And the translator... And as I said, family member, like, so I wasn't going to get sacked. Wouldn't <laughs> translate what Lauda said to Mr. Ferrari, to Enzo Ferrari. He's just, you know, you can't talk to him like that. Tell him it's fine. Tell him it's all. Lie to him, basically, you know. Um, and that's 40 years ago. But I can't yeah. help but feeling there's still that kind of, Jesus, don't admit there's something wrong kind of attitude. Yeah. Like, you know, just blame what? Blame blame your man over there that that empties the bin every Friday. That's why. That's yeah. That's him. It's his fault. Yeah. That's what it is. We'll be grand next year. And let's move along. Nothing to see here. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And I leave it after this point. Like I, I, I don't disagree with any of us, right? But who was dead when when Ross Braun and Jean Todd rocked up and took over the show? No one seemed to tell them what they could and couldn't do. They were given. Three to four seasons to get the thing right. They got the thing right and dominated for another five seasons after that. So it was a very specific set of circumstances, though, because they all arrived more or less together and they all kind of formed. But it didn't happen straight away, Barry. No, no, but they were allowed allowed to because each of them, each of them protected the other. You know, so like in other words, if if it was one of them and it wasn't working straight away. They've been fired, but the fact was that they couldn't fire the five of them. You know, they couldn't. There was Schumacher, Todd, Braun, Rory, Byrne, and there's another one in there. I think of a lesser importance that I just might not come to mind. I know they you're all, talking they, about. They all kind of put a, they they kind of you know shoulder to shoulder, put arms around each other, and kind of and and just 
bet off the, the you know the outside influences or whatever and and it was that combined strength between them that allowed them to get over the four years of no results whereas if it was any one of them on their own the board or the Matsumelo or whoever would have come in and went, no, you're not working, good luck. And then they'd put and, another, no, you're not working, good luck. And we and see even that, how, many, how many team bosses have they had in the last five years? Four? You know? Yes, that, and this is the point I'm making, right? Like, And like I said, I do agree with you to a point where like, you know, the Montezeblo, all them, like the Montezeblo was around in Schumacher's era. Like surely he would have looked at what Ross Braun, Jean Todd, Rory Byrne done and went like, we need to just keep mimicking this every seven to eight years, you know. Not just keep firing guys. Give lads chances, but I, I honestly think in the Ross Braun, John Todd, Rory Byrne, Michael Schumacher era, I think those four to five names carry that team on their own more so than Absolutely. you know. Benatti worked under Ross Braun. And, and, and others that have become team principals for Ferrari that have just been fucking useless, you know? But now, whether that's a Ferrari problem or a team leader problem, I don't know. But there's a high probability that when Schumacher won his first Ferrari title, he had no right to win it in the car he was driving in that year, right? And there's a high probability he probably saved those lads' arses. Well, I think probably that, that's exactly it, though, Mike. They all, probably all saved each other's arses. And this is the this is what I'm trying to say. Surely a Ferrari as a team would look back and go, listen, we actually weren't that great. But fuck when we all stuck together, we won like. You know, yeah, I, I know it sounds have, very, I very simple, they but learned, they should have learned by that experience to give time and all the rest of it. But they don't have that five like that that was a that was a freak occurrence that you get those four or five. Geniuses in the one team, all all at the one time, all pulling together and doing what they did in the right way, you know. And I think, for whatever reason, I I just think that Ferrari are always just going to be on the bubble, on the bubble, on the bubble, on, and then every so often it'll fall right for them and they'll win that year, and then they'll go back to. I just can't see them being a consistent race winner all the time. Um, you know, like like the likes of Red Bull are very, very rarely far. Now, Red Bull only have a, they're only a drop in the ocean in terms of the history in the sport. They're only there, only there, you know, whatever it is, 19 years. Well, it's 19, I think, years, but it's, it's it's you know, a quarter of the time Ferrari is there near enough. So, but I, I just think that's, I think sometimes people just think Ferrari should win every race and, Maybe they should. Maybe they actually should. But the, what history has shown us is that they're, they've they've never been that team. They've always been bubbling around there, and they'll get, and they'll have their day, and they'll take it. But it'll be gone the next day just as quick. They still anyway. shouldn't have popped up P two to, to Mercedes this season, though, Barry. I don't care what anyone says. No, they no. Have done that. Yeah, it's not. I'm not excusing them, Mike. That's for sure. I'm definitely not excusing no. them. And I, I'm not excusing them either. But I, I, I just I, the point I'm making is. They've been so successful in the past. And I know people, because you can't stay living in the past. I'm not living in the past, but that team was so successful. Motorsport, as a rule, as a sport, hasn't changed that much between now and then. Mm. The cars have, but the actual sport hasn't changed that much. Yeah, you but know, then as, Williams, as, Williams were, Williams, by that theory, Williams should still be winning and they're... 
you know, they're not. So. Yeah, but the cars, the cars have changed, and and money and investment and all that. But like, as a sport, as a car racing sport, you get strapped in a car. You hope it's good. You put your right foot down. You you press the middle pedal when you want to stop. You know, you change gears. If you're really good at it, you'll win. It hasn't changed fundamentally. You're right. You're right. Fundamentally, it hasn't. Neither a Ferrari, unfortunately. Yeah, Here we right go. Enough, yeah. It's Ferrari, was it? Uh, hated, adored, never ignored. Because look at the amount of time they've taken up on this there podcast. You go. Again, right, come on, let's go, let's go, move on. Inadvertently, <laughs> they, they're always thought about and they always will be thought about, regardless. <laughs> um, so Mercedes on 409. Um, I, I just want to pick up, I suppose, you know, they, they pipped, they pipped uh, Ferrari for a second. Maybe we won't spend too much time on it, lads, if you don't mind. Really, because I think a lot of it from here on in is nearly self-explanatory, aren't you? But the thing, Hamilton seems to have had a change of heart and now seems like, um, you know, he'd possibly race into his 40s, which he said he would he would never do. Um, and similar to Alonso, uh, Eddie Jordan spoke on, I don't really miss an episode of Forna for success, for success now. I think it's great. It's just one of those buzzes I've gone on. Barry and I listen to it the whole time. Lads, he probably listened to it the whole time. But it's actually really good content. And it's a lot shorter than our one is tonight as well, actually. But, <laughs> but, but they'd, they'd mentioned Hamilton, you know, in the same breath as Alonso, into the 40s or whatever, whenever that happens, and still being capable of winning in the right car and stuff like that. And, I mean, I've said this on the podcast. When I saw all these guys in the flesh uh, in 2022 in... Uh, in Barcelona, Barry, I remember saying to you, if they're all in white cars, all in white helmets, you'd pick out Hamilton a mile away. He got a horrendous start and he was just gaining, 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 gaining. He was just, he oozed class, right? But where do these two guys then stand going into 2024? Um, and Total Wolf's demeanor, that's something that we should talk about a little bit as well, because that changed drastically over the last couple of years when things weren't going so right. Can they turn this around now? And uh, Barry, are they looking likely? It's a real unknown because they, they, they made a, you know, a bit of a balls at a car on the new regs in 2022, which you'd forgive anyone of because it was, you know, there was a certain amount of sucking and see and, you know, everyone had to make a decision early doors and then kind of stick to it. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too hard enough for that. Um, where I think they, they've shown a little bit of naivety um was by sticking to it for this year the same concept concept they're the last team to stick to that concept everyone else figured out fairly quickly you know by looking at the red bulls and stuff for this world of ferraris that that was the general route to take in terms of just the aerodynamic philosophy to go after but mercedes were kind of stubborn and you'd almost wonder was it like well we're mercedes and you know they were kind of over backing themselves a little bit um the question now will be you know the, the signs coming out of out of Mercedes are is that they've they've changed approach and they're kind of now accepting that they need to follow follow the the, the crowd so to speak with with the 2024 car, um. They could get it right, but they're also a year, at least a year, if not two years, behind the Red Bulls of this world in that development curve. So, I wouldn't be. I don't think I. I think they'll still. Be there, thereabouts, but I, I don't see them. I don't see them doing. Uh, I don't see them worrying Red Bull too much. And Dad, lads, well, Mike says, yeah, you know, we were now 15 into the episode, lads. Um, so Red Bull, I mean, there probably is no words really. They designed a, a shit hot car. Uh, Max Verstappen is the most 
impressive, I suppose, raw talent that possibly we might have ever seen. That's going to generate a topic, I think, isn't it? But I think what he done this year, um, Mike, has been absolutely phenomenal. And while the car has been incredible too, he got absolutely everything out of it. And, I mean, at times didn't have to go for things and he just kept wanting to annihilate and pulverize. And I actually made this comparison. Uh, I'll get very educated on all these other sports now. Again, this episode's <laughs> over. But in darting terms, we'll try darts this time. See, does that go over the head as well? No, um, we want to be seven, Richie. Oh, watching the other night. Watch the <laughs> finally! Me and Barry were watching darts the other night together. <laughs> we finally got through to him with some sort of comparison. But Phil Taylor would speak uh, spring to mind in a sense that if Phil Taylor was like five or six sets up in a World Arts final, he wants to win 7-0. And he has won World Arts final 7-0. And he's won 16 world titles as well. Um, I just get that we spoke about his ruthlessness. We know all this. A question that I was asked, and you can actually uh, hear the answer on B or 2 or 3 because at the time of recording, um, it will be going out Saturday at halfway, probably up online, um, just as part of our promotion of this fabulous um, shortlisting that we got. But... Could Max beat Hamilton's win record and looking at where he is now? And obviously that draws the thing out the amount of races and different things like that. You guys have always had the view that Max might not be in F1 for the, I suppose, for the long haul. Um, do you suspect that that may be the case still, lads? Like we mentioned Robin Perry in a not too distant episode and what he's doing with a shared drive um, because he wants to do other things with the WRC world. Um Look, I suppose we can't go too far into the future. We have to look ahead to this year first. But Richie, what 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 do you reckon? No, no, he's he's um as regard being a seven or eight time world tight world Formula One champion, not a hope, and not because he wouldn't have the talent to do it. He he won't be there that long. Um, he's he's just he's he's the type of phenom that you know he's he's dominating in this sport. He's more than likely going to win the championship next year. By all accounts, listening to what's coming out of Red Bull camp, they're seriously impressed with this season's car as well. So it's hard to see anything to touch that. Um, he's he's he started his own GT3 team or endurance GT3 team. Tested a couple of McLarens, Ferraris as to what he was going to use. Had the great Fernando testing with him. Um, me and Barry, like I said, we were actually spent a few days with Barry there not so long ago over the over the festive break, and um, we were just two of us were talking about this and over a cup of coffee, I might add. But um, espresso martini was that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, no, he he's just you know he's a pure racer, Barry. Barry and he'll probably go through better than I can, but. He's just a pure racer at heart, you know. We were in Barry's house the other night and my young fella got on Barry's same and, you know, so happy about the way he was taking lap time after time off at time off time. Like, you know, if we went looking down the right channel, my young fella could have probably raced um, Max on a sim race somewhere in the world. Because, you know, he, Formula One is not just his life. Racing is his life. And... If he becomes a four-time world champion, which he more than likely will, I can't see him going too much longer than that. No, I I agree. I don't think I don't think he'll stay just to hit the right numbers. Um, I think well, I'm not sure now. He's 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 uh, is it 2028? He's contracted to, I think. 
Um, but I mean, like, that's, it is, yeah. Yeah. the end of the day, if he decides he doesn't want to be there, you know, they he's gone. He's gone. But if if he stays to 2028, 20, um, he's 26, I believe, now. So that's, he'd be 30. You know, he's not going to be there like Lewis and Fernando in, in you know, in Lewis's case, knocking on the 40s and, and in uh, Alonso's case, the other side of it. He could maybe get seven or eight championships. What's that? One or four years, you know, if if he just wins them one after the other, if the car is good enough. But I don't think I get the feeling Lewis is hanging in. I think if Lewis had a one in 2021, he'd be gone. He'd be gone by now. I think Lewis is trying to hang in to get the eight one. I don't think that sort of thing will 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 uh, entice Max at all. I think Max will stay so long as it's he's winning and so long as it's enjoyable and and so long as he has enough time the other side of his F1 career to do the other things he wants to do. And whatever amount of championships he wins in the meantime will be what they'll be. Um, I don't think the amount he wins will in any way dictate how long he stays. I think they'll just be a byproduct. And Mike, uh, to, uh, if you have anything to add, or maybe what prospects are they, are they very um, straightforward? Well, I put, I, I put it to you this way, right? You're talking about his ability and his talent. Uh, uh, in ter- and whether he'll stick around, I agree with the lads. I don't think he has the ambition or he'll feel he needs to prove himself to stick around and, and do what Lewis is doing. But I read an article a couple of days ago where Adrian Newey came out and said that they sacrificed race uh, one lap qualifying pace over tyre degradation and race pace to make sure that they could that the car would be competitive over a race, right? And that was. That was seen as a plausible explanation as to why uh, Perez struggles as much as he does in qualifying, right? But and and and, what, and the way he finished it off was was that even back through his karting days, Lewis Lewis would or Max would go out in the absolute rain um, when there was nobody had grip and he'd be seconds a lot quicker than everything around him. He was just born in the car, and he he has, he has could control a car in any condition. So that's why he was able, they were able to uh, set the car up so that the tyres would go longer. They, wouldn't, they didn't need that one-lap pace because they had, they had Max behind the wheel. And if that's true, I mean, that just tells you how good this guy is, you know? Yeah. I think I think it's uh it's I know it's only the fifth January or whatever of twenty twenty four, but I think we all know what way the, the championship is most likely gonna go, barring a disaster. But you know, it's uh it's still gonna be interesting to watch it uh play out. Sure is. And lads, um on that note, I want to thank you very, very much indeed for giving up your time, you know, over uh over the past season. I want to thank our sponsors, Tech and Tools, Rapco, KSMPM, Delivery, Richard Carney Engineering. Palestorage.ie and a special shout to PFT Travel as well. I mean, they've been with us from day one. MJ Farrell put us in touch to make the, the Connor Sketches interview happen. And uh, and obviously Matt Gamby of um Jesus Sportsquake, wasn't it? Yeah, Sportsquake. They were involved in Transformate and Haas forming a partnership. And uh, you know, without um MJ and PFT Travel and all our great sponsors, we uh we wouldn't be where we are. So just on that final note, thanks again, lads. And we want to want to say make sure you get voting for us at the Sport Podcast Awards. We are um, shortlisted for the final in the best motorsport podcast. You can get that on our social media channels at Irish F1 Show Facebook. Twitter, Thanks to everyone on, on Facebook and Instagram for liking, sharing. We really appreciate it. We're not expecting a whole lot, but listen, keep it going. You'll never know what'll happen. <laughs>